This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. This could be the moment for Australia. It is Ash Gardner at mid-off. Takes the catch that sees Australia crowned as world champions. A stream of green and gold runs onto the field. And now a huddle embracing one another to celebrate a remarkable achievement. Five years ago, they crashed out of the semi-final stage. They rebuilt, they came back stronger. And a side that has lost just 250 over games in the intervening half decade. Now claim the World Cup, beating England by 71 runs in Christchurch. Nat Siver is left stranded. She's played brilliantly, but the best side in the world will be lifting the World Cup trophy. Australia have won the World Cup. Well, an extraordinary performance by Elisa Healy to help Australia on this pathway to dominance that, well, has been in the making since 2017 when they crashed out of that World Cup. And since then, it has been their mission and they have not lost a series in any format. 21 straight series victories, a 26-game one-day international winning streak. They had two T20 World Cup wins and now they have added the much-wanted 50-over World Cup as well. Alex, the innings from Nat Siver, though, that's got to be worth a word and more than that because 148 not out of 121 balls it does just make you think what if what if England had batted first it does indeed and we're going to ask that question over and over aren't we what if England batted first but also what if somebody stuck around with Nat Siver what if one more batter got 50 what if somebody else could just be with her and build partnerships it's been a thing throughout that England needed to extend batting partnerships and it just didn't happen today. And the dropped catches will be rude as well, won't they? With both Healy and Haynes who put on 160 for that first wicket. Both of them dropped in the space of four balls off Kate Cross. Yeah, it was. There was two drops in the over and it sort of changed the game and, you know, it gave Haynes and Healy a chance. Had England taken those chances, it may have been a different game. It may not. But Australia, you can't take anything away from the way that they've played today or at all throughout this World Cup. They've been absolutely fantastic and they do deserve to be world champions. Yeah, they've come through this tournament winning nine games in a row. And of course, before that, they were facing England in the Ashes series and they dominated that. England did not win a game throughout that series. But uh, Elisa Healy was dropped on 41 uh, funnily enough, by Siver, who then went on to score uh, her own career best, again on 136. But you just can't give those players lives. Haynes was dropped on 47. Uh, but England have, well, it's been a, a difficult World Cup in the way it started. They did brilliantly well to then work their way up to this final. And now they have to sit back and, and watch the Aussies lift a trophy which is utterly, utterly deserved, you have to say. Stefan Schemmel is still with us as well in the commentary box and Five Live Breakfast will follow us here on Test Match Special. But Stefan, for this Australian side, this World Cup is a trophy they last held in 2013. We've talked about this run they've been on since 2017. In their dominance, I mean, can it be compared to dominant sports 
teams, you know, across the eras that we've seen, the likes of, you know, the Chicago Bulls in the 90s, the All Blacks, the, the Arsenal Invincibles, you know, they are just head and shoulders above the rest at what they do. Absolutely. And when you think that um, Australia, just because of the nature of cricket, they've got so many different prizes that they can go after. They're Ashes holders. They're the last two T20 World Cups they've won. They've been dominant in this 50-over World Cup. And you mentioned some of those great teams, Ali. So you can think about different cricket teams and maybe the Australian men in the 2000s or the West Indies in the 1980s. And then you start thinking about other sports like the All Blacks, who have they been so dominant in rugby union, or Arsenal's Invincibles, who went through an entire season undefeated to win the Premier League. This team, this Australian team, has got to be up there. Ridiculous numbers. Um, 38 one-day internationals prior to this final. They'd lost only one of them. They're the first team to go through a Women's World Cup with nine wins from nine. They are head and shoulders above the rest of the planet when it comes to women's cricket and it is up for the rest of them to catch up. And it will probably take some time for that to happen because Australia have got such an established domestic setup. They've got, what, about 120 professionals, maybe more than that. The next most is England with about 70 with their new setup of regional contracts and the 100 and all that sort of thing. It's probably going to take England four or five years to match Australia. That's a really scary thought. It used to be Australia and England, then the rest. Now it's just England who are the best of the rest, trying to swim that ocean to catch up with the Aussies. Yeah, I suppose if we, when you start looking at, at other sports and, and other sporting eras, it is a bit difficult to compare because of the developmental stage that women's professional cricket is currently at and Australia resource-wise, numbers-wise, everything you're saying, Stefan, they are so much ahead of the rest and so I, to compare it to say Steve Waugh's you know, test team for Australia, that test team was competing in a sort of very different arena to where Australia currently sits as a, as a professional cricketing women's nation amongst the rest at the moment and Alex, from all the matches that you've seen, I mean, how how far away are some of the others and are you seeing? Oh, we'll come back to that, Alex. Let's get down to ground level and Henry Moran. Thank you very much indeed, Ali, live on Five Live. Is the England captain, Heather Knight, standing on the boundary edge? Heather, how do you reflect on that? Well, I think, first of all, credit to Australia. That was a remarkable innings by Lisa to, to do that in a final and for them to put that on the board was was tough. We we didn't probably have an answer at times. I, I think they battered out Stanley. It was a, a very good track, made it very hard to defend and yeah, obviously we fought hard in the chase. Nat Sever, oh, unbelievable. What an innings again against Australia. She was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, obviously disappointed, but credit to Australia the way they played today. Very easy in hindsight, but do you look back at that toss and think maybe another decision would have been the way to go? I don't think so. I was pretty 50-50. To be honest, it was one of those where you, you weren't un unhappy if you'd lost it. Um, but no, I think it was the right decision. It showed it was a good wicket to chase. If we had more wickets in hand there and someone bats with Nat, you extend that partnership, then there's a chance you can chase that down. So um, no, no regrets. And uh, I guess judgment in hindsight is, is a slightly different thing. This Australia team are a phenomenal unit. Do you look at them and think, this is where we have to be? Yeah, I think they've been outstanding. They've been brilliant this tournament, haven't they? Uh, I think the way they're so ruthless with their partnerships, I think it's something we can really learn from. The way um, Alyssa and, and Rach at the top of the order, the, the way they put on a really big partnership and took the game away from us, I, I think it's something we haven't done as well as we could have this tournament. Uh, I think it's something definitely we can look at and, and learn from them that uh, we can do better in the future. 
I know it's very raw, very fresh, but how are you going to look back on this tournament? It's been a topsy-turvy few weeks. It has. It's definitely been a roller coaster, that's for sure. I think the the main thing is pride at the way we fought, obviously disappointment, um, but to come back and, and to make it through the, through to the final, obviously with, with three losses at the start, um, was, yeah, brilliant character from the girls. Um, but, yeah, obviously disappointment, but I think we'll look back and, and knowing we're involved in what's probably one of the best tournaments, uh, I think, in terms of competition and, and standard in the women's game, um, will be a positive memory. For some players, this is likely to be their final 50-over World Cup, the likes of Catherine Brunt and your Shrubsoll. Next time this tournament comes around, it could be a very different England side. Yeah, it could. Of course, you start a new cycle. I guess it's three years rather than four years with the COVID delay. But um, yeah, look, the, I think people will reflect afterwards. There's probably not going to be any emotional decisions, I don't think. But um, yeah, who knows uh, what the next three years holds. Will you look back on this World Cup fondly despite falling at the final hurdle? Oh, you have to ask me that in, in a couple of months, I think. Um, yeah, potentially. I think, obviously, um, to not be able to go one more and... and bring home the trophy is, is gutting and I think it'll take a little bit of time to, to sink in the disappointment but um, yeah potentially I think I'm like I said I'm, I'm super proud of the, the chance we've given ourselves to get in this position and, and be in the final after the start we had so um, yeah we can take a lot from that Heather thanks so much for your time thanks and commiserations so cheers thanks so much Heather Knight the England captain standing uh, on the boundary edge you might see if I can just uh, grab an Australia representative as well while I'm down here as you might understand Ali it's quite chaotic but uh, leave it with me for a few moments and if I get anyone I'll let you know and we will be straight back with you Henry of course and Heather Knight there Alex I could you detect emotion in her voice because she memorably was very emotional post the, the ashes I mean it's been a long long winter's tour this for England hasn't it it has, and, and there is some emotion in her voice, and, and rightly so. You know, it has been a long, a long old winter for them. They've spent a lot of time away, you know, and that's just the way of the world at the moment with COVID bubbles and having to come over to New Zealand and quarantine, you know, a, a week or two before they probably would have liked. But, you know, they've just lost the World Cup final. Everybody's going to be feeling emotional. Even the Aussies who have won it, they'll be emotional. And it's one of those things, it'll take a, a few days to sink in and, and be able to reflect on this game properly as an England side and there'll be a few emotions around and, and a few of the England girls who know that this is probably their last ever 50 over World Cup, they'll be the ones that are feeling incredibly emotional. But credit to Heather Knight, she always interviews well and, and she's obviously incredibly proud of her team deep down. Well, pause there, let's go back to Henry Moran. And the Australia captain, Meg Lanning, is alongside me. Meg, the final piece of the jigsaw complete. How much a relief to get over the line? Yeah, really, really pleased with that, obviously. Um, you know, it's been a long time coming, this tournament, to, to be fair. It's been in the back of our minds, and, and there's no doubt that we wanted this trophy in the cabinet. And, um, yeah, it's been an amazing effort over a number of years, and to, to finish it off like this is amazing. This team has gone through a phenomenal cycle in the last five years. How proud are you to have created a team that many are saying is the best international side in any sport? Oh, I've loved it. To be honest, you know, all, all the players and staff um, are, are so great to be around and be involved with. Um, you know, everybody does their bit. You know, everybody's slightly different and, and brings something different to the team, which I think is really important. But we just really enjoy each other's company. We've got each other's back. Um, and through the highs and the lows, we, we just continue to, to live by the, the way that we want to, I guess, and the values that we've created. So, um, yeah, certainly a great group to be around. How happy were you when the toss was called in the way that it was with you batting first? Oh, we were going to bat anyway, so I was pretty happy to be fair. It looked like a belter of a wicket, and sometimes in finals when you got runs on the board, that um, that means a lot. So, um, yeah, we, we sort of both got what we wanted in the end, I guess, but, um, yeah, we, we were pretty pleased to bat first. 
A word on Alyssa Healy's innings. It was one of the all-time great World Cup innings, that, wasn't it? It was. It was amazing to watch. Um, I can't say I've ever come in in the 45th over of an ODI before, but I'm pretty happy to do it with, with Alyssa Healy out there batting like that. It was yeah, an incredible knock. Um, I, I'm not sure we'll see one like it. Difficult question, perhaps, to answer, but what do England do to get close to Australia? Oh, I'm not sure. You'll have to ask them. Yeah, I think they've, they've shown some, some good determination through the tournament to get back into it. Um, they've got some world-class players as well, so I'm sure they're, they're thinking about that behind the scenes, but uh, yeah, I can't comment on that too much. And what does this evening hold for you and your side? I mean, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, look, we'll certainly celebrate this one pretty hard, I'd, I'd imagine. As you said, it's been coming for a long time. We've felt like we've waited for it, and, and now we've finally done what we achieved to, to do. So, um, yeah, we'll certainly be celebrating. Many congratulations, Meg. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Meg Ladding speaking on the boundary edge, and again, that decision at the toss alley is uh, on the minds of plenty of people down here. Yeah, I'm sure it will continue to be so as well. Thank you, Henry. But, uh, Alex, let me throw that question back to you. And from what you have seen at this tournament and, of course, the Ashes prior to this, how far away are England from Australia and what do they need to do? I think it just shows, we've, we often talk about it, the domestic setup. You know, Australia have had a professional domestic setup for five or six years longer than England mm. have. England only started a couple of years ago and realistically the first year was heavily impacted by COVID. So we've had professional domestic players in England for one year and one year's cricket is what 10-15 games it's not many at all this Australia side they've played domestic cricket for years and years they've got over 150 domestic games and experience under their belt it's going to take a while for England to catch up but they're not a million miles away and I guess that's the exciting thing and then we've got the likes of India West Indies you know all the other teams in this competition New Zealand who are all investing in their domestic setups I mean, this World Cup's been the closest in some regards than we've ever seen before, but Australia have absolutely walked it. If you speak to someone like Lydia Greenway, Ali, who's been working with yes. us on Test Match Special during this World Cup, she's a World Cup winner n numerous times over with England. She also does some coaching with the Sydney Sixers in the Women's Big Bash League, and she says that when Australia's domestic players go back to their domestic setup, the system in all of those states and all of those franchises is comparable to everyone else's international team. That is what they get at the domestic level. So that's not just the standard, but that's the way they train um, all the different support staff that they've got. Even things like maturity and game management and how to behave as an international cricketer. Those are all the things that Australia have got over every other team, not just England. And so the thing that Alex says is absolutely correct is that I don't think England are that far away talent-wise. We've seen that with some of the performances they put in during this World Cup. Mm. Sophie Eccleston ends as the tournament's leading wicket-taker. Nat Siver's been magnificent with the bat. It's she's, just time. She's surely going to be England the number one all-rounder, isn't she? Yeah, at the end of this yeah, tournament, it's she just time. absolutely have it, overtaken it, at least Perry. Four or five years, and then we can judge how England's domestic setup is is tracking in comparison to the Australians. Yes, that professional culture that seeps all the way through the system that has had that time to develop. Saying that when you get one-on-one, -on -one, you've got to then execute those skills. But, I mean, extraordinary for, for Nat Siver. Imagine scoring 100 off 90 balls in a World Cup final, finishing unbeaten on 148. Only the third women, woman after Alyssa Healy, who was only the second to score 100 in a World Cup final. And yet Siver's on the losing side. Let's take a few minutes to reflect and, and, and indeed celebrate Elisa Healy's 100 because we watched something quite 
extraordinary. And, and it will go down, won't it, as an all-time great innings. And even just by its sheer numbers in terms of World Cup finals, men's and women's, she has now topped the list. But you just had to sit back and, and, and watch in, in wonderment out, really, didn't you? Yeah, you did, you know. It was ex an exceptional innings. It was it almost a shame they were playing England because it was so good to watch. And, and watching it, you almost watched in awe of just the way she manipulated the field and, and the way she made England think about what they were doing. She just outplayed England in all regards today. And it was the greatest knock in a World Cup final that I have ever seen. To score 170 of 136 balls takes something incredibly special. Coming off the back of 129 in the World Cup final, the only batter to ever score more than 500 runs in a World Cup competition. She has been top tier during this World Cup and especially today. She's a big game player as well, Ali. Sorry, if, if you think back to the, uh, the T20 World Cup final in 2020 when there was 86,000 fans inside the Melbourne cricket ground, who was player of the match? Alyssa Healy. In the semi-final against the West Indies um, on, a, on a tricky green surface after it had rained in Wellington, the West Indies won the toss and ball first. Who bludgeons a century? Alyssa Healy. And in this game, the World Cup final, the biggest stage of all, the most pressure Australia have ever been in under in a 50-over game. Who steps up? It's Alyssa Healy. What a player she is. Everyone who knows her says she's a nightmare to play against, but an absolute <laughs> dream to be with. And that's all you want, really, isn't it? Yeah, I've spent a bit of time with her in commentary boxes and she often pops up during the Australian season, even even to watch her, her, her husband, Mitchell Stark, and pass a comment on him in the commentary box before. But she's a phenomenal player, wicketkeeper bat. And she had said before this final that she's assessing things as she goes along in, in terms of her longevity and her future. It feels like it would be a, a crying shame if she decides that now is the right time to retire, go out on a high. But she will assess. Uh, she's 31 years old and she might have other ideas of what she wants to do in the coming years. But certainly other players like Rachel Haynes, 35, her last World Cup. Catherine Brunt, we've spoken about, about her just incredible longevity. And for Catherine Brunt playing... Her first World Cup was in 2005 and at the age of 37, pushing through this World Cup, still making technical changes and improving uh, as she went along through this tournament. You're listening to the TMS podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Extraordinary innings from Elisa Healy. I have not seen better in any World Cup final. Just a fa fabulous History-making legendary knock. Healy, 170 off 138 balls. A tweet here from the Australian statistician Rick Finlay, who says Elisa Healy would have won the World Cups of 1982, 1988, 1997 and 2009 on her own. Well played. Let's speak to Claire Connor, Managing Director of Women's Cricket at the ECB. Claire, if England hadn't made it to the final at all though and exit was very much on the cards wasn't it with three defeats uh, in a row they managed to rescue themselves because that would have been seen as an abject failure wouldn't it for the defending champions mm. for this England team such a well-resourced side to have not made it as far as they did yeah absolutely and and that was the as you say that was the kind of the barrel that we were looking down after after three really close games and three defeats against Australia, West Indies, and South Africa, our first three, um, you know, on the back of a on the back of a grueling Ashes. So, you know, I, 
we, I think they, Heather and the team should be very, very proud of that comeback. Okay, you could say they shouldn't have uh, been in a position where they needed to find such um, uh, kind of bounce-back ability or, or resilience, but they did. And uh, yes, they are very well-resourced. And, and, you know, people could say, well, they shouldn't have lost that game to the West Indies. And, but, you know, the, the competitive gap across the top teams now is closing, and that's what's vital for the for the strength of the women's game globally. Um, and, you know, what, what, what we did do is show huge heart and character um, to come back and win, win, the, win our remaining group games. Um, and, you know, tournament cricket is, as, as, as we all know, if we've played in it or follow it, or it's about, it is about that kind of momentum and, and learning as you go and, and, and peaking, um, peeking through the tournament what Australia have done remarkably is found another level you know having been unbeaten coming into this final they found mm. yet another level yeah a jaw-dropping performance from Elisa mm. Healy and messages even I've been getting in this morning from people who aren't necessarily regular watchers of, of the women's game who have just been they said had their breath taken away by one extraordinary performance um, I want to talk about some of the players well I guess one player in particular who this is likely to be her final World Cup which is Catherine Brunts who's nearly 37 and you captained her in her first World Cup in 2005 there is a, an England summer to come and she may well play through that there's a Commonwealth Games of course in Birmingham this summer but for Catherine Brunt in her last World Cup this her fifth and she's won two of them what can you say about her career Oh, I mean, almost. It made me a little emotional kind of talking about it. As you say, Ali, you know, I, I captained her um, in my last couple of years as captain and, and, and saw the, raw, the raw, raw character that she was then and she's retained so much of, 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 of that character um, and, and played such a, a lead role for England over so many years. You know, three back surgeries... You know, literally carried off um, on a on a stretcher, pretty much at the T20 World Cup in in the Caribbean in 2018. She's she's you know she she bleeds England. You know she um, th there aren't words really for her. She's uh, she's seen it all. You know she's gone through that entirely amateur era for the first almost 10 years of her career. You know, being a almost a completely amateur cricketer, and now over the last seven or eight years, kind of reaping the, the benefits of, of being better paid and better supported and, um, and, and on professional contracts around the world. You know, she's played in the Women's Big Bash. She's played in the 100 now. She's, um, you know, been multi-format player for England that has, you know, at times been the most feared cricketer in the world uh, and the most loved. You know, she's very, very loved within this England setup. Will it be her last foray uh, in an England shirt here in New Zealand? I don't know is the an honest answer to that. Mm. I think the lure of the Commonwealth Games will be, um, could be influential for her. Um, but, you know, whatever she decides, um, she's given uh, 18 years of, of her life to England women's cricket. And, you know, you genuinely, when you... You know, I know when you look back on a career and you, you weigh up your contribution, could Catherine Brunt have given any more um, to this England team and to the sport? And the answer is categorically no. 
It's extraordinary longevity and the game will be, again, poorer when she's not playing it because she is a, a, an enormous entertainer and compelling viewing. Um, Claire, before we, before we let you go, um, with your ICC hat on, chair of the ICC Women's Committee, have you been pleased with the way this tournament has, has held up the organisation and, I guess, the challenges of COVID? Unbelievably. I mean, I'm looking out now over a sun-drenched Hagley Oval and it is absolutely full, full to the seams for this final. It's the, it's the biggest event that has been held in this country since pre-pandemic, uh, since the pandemic. Uh, I was chatting to Ian Smith a moment ago and he said that he thinks there are more in here f than, than watched Brendan McCullum play in his last test match here um, really? a few years ago. So, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So, firstly, good on the people of Christchurch for coming out and supporting this, you know, this massive event um, mm. in all their glory. You know, it's the, the, they, they haven't got their own team to support, um, but they are making it such a special occasion for both England and Australia. Um, as yeah. for the tournament organisers, they've done an amazing job. They're a lean team, the, 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 the LOC, who've been on the ground here now since 2018-2019. Mm. You know, they've had to cope with the ever-changing landscape of the pandemic, of the postponement a year ago. Six months ago, they didn't even know it would still happen because, you know, it was still all so uncertain. So as a, as a tournament team delivering this Women's World Cup, they deserve enormous credit um, for their resilience and for their teamwork. And, and so too the New Zealand government uh, for, for unlocking Christchurch for this, on this amazing occasion and, um, and making it such a, a brilliant kind of showcase final for the tournament. But what have the highlights and the lowlights been? We'll hear uh, Alex Hartley, Stefan Schemelt and Henry Moran. Well, what a World Cup it has been. Arguably the best 50-over tournament that the women's game has held in its history. We've seen brilliant matches, close matches as well, and been treated to some of the most spectacular venues in the world game to boot. Stefan Schemeltz, Alex Hartley, we've been following it all around the country, and it has been absolutely sensational. What are your overall reflections, Steph, first of all? It's just been a fantastic tournament, really, really enjoyable. I think we all came into it with a certain amount of trepidation. How much would COVID play its part? I think for me personally, I was actually feeling pretty guilty that I'd been allowed into New Zealand to do my quarantine when so many ordinary New Zealanders couldn't get back home. When Ash Gardner, uh, the Australia all-rounder, tested positive just before the tournament began. And you remember when we were thinking about could a team play with nine players when the IC put that ICC put that regulation out just before the tournament began and we were all worried like how badly might this tournament be hit by covid it's already been delayed by a year and are we going to be in a situation whereby um we have a farcical situation of a team taking the field with nine players but all those worries melted away really quickly. Even on the first day, going back to Mount Monganui, that amazing finish when the West Indies beat New Zealand, the drama of Deandra Dottin grabbing the ball for the last over of the match and saying, I'm going to be the match winner and doing just that. And that really set the tone for the amount of close finishes we've seen, such high-quality cricket, um, particularly some spectacular catches and just the general evolution of the women's game and one thing that I think that I will certainly take away from this is that there's no need I don't think anymore for us to spread the word of women's cricket because it is here and it speaks for itself now 
I think it's just been a fantastic tournament, hasn't it? For for the first time in forever, it feels like anyone can beat anyone. You know, most of the teams in, in 2017, it didn't necessarily feel like that. Everyone just presumed it would be England, Australia, India, and it was who would qualify for that fourth semi-final. Whereas in this competition, it came right down to the wire, right down to the very last game. Anyone could beat anybody. And we've seen some fantastic cricket and it's genuinely been a pleasure to cover. We'll get on to the best moment, the lowest moment, perhaps, that we've seen in the tournament. But as an overall product, Stefan, you say no longer does the word need to be spread. How much has the last four weeks done that? How much has this been a real sea change in how the women's game is viewed? I don't know if it's been a, a sea change. It's just been the next step in the evolution of the game. So we've gradually seen lots of different... Um, international boards putting investment into their women's team, seen value in growing the women's game. And that has been shown, that investment has borne fruit in this tournament. We knew that Australia were really, really strong. We knew that England took women's cricket seriously. We knew that there were other countries like South Africa and New Zealand that were growing the women's game. But this was the first time on a global stage, really, that we'd seen the progress the likes of Pakistan and Bangladesh have made. And the tournament is all the richer for it. And what the women's game will continue to do, it's basically now poised to go absolutely through the roof, not just internationally, when you think of all the different competitions that are coming up over the next decade or so, um, everything that is organised by the ICC World Cups, T20 World Cups, there's going to be a Women's Champions Trophy, cricket is coming to the Commonwealth Games, but all of the domestic tournaments that are going to be played as well. So the WBBL in Australia is established, the 100 last year was a fantastic success, probably more so for women's cricket than it was for men's. And we know that there's a Pakistan Super League coming, there's a Caribbean Premier League coming. Hopefully one day in the very near future, there'll be an Indian Premier League coming as well. And like I say, well, I guess it's not actually what I said. I referred back to something that Alex actually drew out of Nasu saying on the No Balls podcast. Don't worry about people who don't um, feel the benefit or see the benefit of women's cricket. That doesn't matter. The fact is that the game is here and it is absolutely spectacular and fascinating and has its own different layers and levels of intrigue if you want to be interested in it. And that's all that matters. You'd agree with that, Alex? You know, I think this World Cup, it, it has stood up for itself. Yes, you know, we, we want players to, we as cricket players want male players to get behind us and, and tweet about us and show that they're watching the game and, and all sorts of these things. But actually, this World Cup has stood up for itself throughout. It's, they, they've shown interest, the fact that now it's on free-to-air TV, we're on Five Live. It's just a really exciting moment for women's cricket and, and where it can go. Right then. Favourite moments, biggest disappointments. Stefan, what's been your, your standout moment? Um, anything to do with baby Fatima, um, the daughter <laughs> of Bismar Maroof. And if that sounds like a little bit twee, it's not, because it's um, indicative of the fact there were eight mothers taking part in this tournament, more than that there ever have been. And it, again, it's just another evolution of the women's game, of how fantastic it is that women feel like they can go away, step away from the game, for a little while, have children, come back and be able to compete at the highest level because they are supported to do so um, by their teams and by their governing bodies. Um, there's been fantastic action on the pitch, but I personally have been entertained any time I've seen baby Fatima on the TV. It has been lovely to see her, hasn't it, throughout. And the cameras were always on her and she was so sweet. 
Um, I've changed my favourite moment for when we spoke off air. My, my favourite moment has sort of been a, a passage of play throughout the competition. Of It's still Sophie Eccleston. I think she's a fantastic bowler. But the, the turnaround she's had from the first game of bowling 10 overs, none for 77, to being leading wicket t- taker for England in a World Cup ever. I think it just shows her grit, determination and the skill that she has. Not necessarily one of England's favourite moments, but it was an important step on their journey to reaching the World Cup final. That game at Eden Park, one of the f- most famous cricket grounds in the world, or sports stadiums in the world, and this hostile, aggressive atmosphere in the rain, drama, final wicket stand, England needing eight to win, getting over the line and keeping their World Cup dream alive. It had absolutely everything for me, and that was just such a special moment. It's a moment that felt that this is a really big sporting event. When Anya Shrubsol hit the the four through the covers to bring the scores level, knowing that England at least had a super over and uh, were not going out of the World Cup yet, I've never, ever punched the air in the press box before. And I almost put a hole through the window. I was that excited. It was absolutely fantastic. That game, for me, um, will live so long in the memory yeah Alex that was a spectacular and it was one of so many close matches it's just every time you think that you know which way the tournament's going something spectacular has been happening it has it's, it's been a, a, a good tournament it's been an entertaining tournament but but that was just on a different level wasn't it and I think it's because we knew that England if England lost that final wicket they were going home you know they had to win every single game they were playing must win cricket and I think that's why we were all so nervous and, and also so excited for what could be what what became from that game and I, I think you know it, it was an extraordinary passage of play there was a couple of things as well that the West Indies did. I mean, I felt any time that Deandra Dottin was involved in any sort of action, she was absolutely box office. The catch she took against England to dismiss Lauren Winfield Hill, the final over against New Zealand, we've talked about an amazing assault on the India bowling up in Hamilton when we thought she was going to play a, a really extraordinary innings. And the West Indies in general, can you remember their celebrations when Shrubsole was bowled in Dunedin, the last wicket to fall, and they all ran off towards the dressing room? That was such a fantastic moment. And Pakistan bit in the West Indies while well, their evolution has been great. Biggest disappointment. It feels almost harsh to, uh, to, to bring something like that up and the negative because it has been such a brilliant competition. But Alex, you know, there's always something that, that perhaps could have been a little better. Uh, yeah, I think England's start to the World Cup was probably the biggest disappointment. And uh, I think all the girls would agree with that. But for me, the, the loss against the West Indies was my biggest disappointment because they're a, West Indies are a team that England should beat regularly. You know, they, they go into that game or should have gone into that game with so much confidence. I'm pretty sure they did and the West Indies outplayed them and that was my biggest disappointment. It's a real shame that New Zealand didn't reach the last four um, because of what it would have done for the tournament and how um, even more momentum um, would have been carried into the final stages, not least because that was the only time that full crowds were allowed into grounds. But realistically, New Zealand weren't one of the best four teams. India should have been one of the best four teams and their failure to reach the semi-finals is a huge blow for the global women's game. They should have been one of the, the top four. They had the chance to get through their final group game against South Africa. They looked to have it in their grasp. And then Deepti Sharma oversteps that no ball. What a, a dramatic time. And they went out. And if women's cricket is going to absolutely explode on the global stage, then India are going to have to win a competition at some point. And to be honest, bar the odd moment in this tournament, they've been really disappointing. Yeah, and I think the crowd 
story has been one area where, you know, if, if times were different, it would have been wonderful to see the fabulous grass banks around all these grounds packed full, as we've seen in the latter stages when the restrictions have been lifted. The tournament started with just 10% of crowd capacity available and crowds were coming in as many as they could, but it hasn't quite been the festival feel that I think everybody dreamed of. But because of circumstance, we know why that couldn't happen. And, uh, and that's just part of the way things have been. But it has been brilliant. We've loved every single moment. There have been challenges getting between venues. There have been challenges uh, for England, certainly on the field. And there have been uh, moments that we will never, ever forget. It has been such a privilege to be here. And it is a World Cup tournament that will live very long in the memory. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live.